The tweets are in at real Donald Trump cutting college affirmative action, which is actually racist. I wouldn't want extra SAT points for my race. Why not? Hashtag affirmative action is just a fancy term for reverse discrimination. We need to end discrimination in all forms against all people. Good idea. Good. It's about time we eliminate the soft bigotry of low expectations. Hashtag affirmative action. I'm confused, liberals. Is it okay or not to treat people differently based on the color of their skin? Wednesday wisdom. It's good wisdom. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of a day when people weren't judged by the color of their skin. End affirmative action. Leftists, dismantle systemic racism now. Right. Okay, let's end affirmative action. Leftists, wait, well, some systemic racism is okay. Sorry, libs, we will no longer give privileges based on race, but rather on the content of people's character. Hashtag affirmative action is a racist cancer, paternalistic whites who think blacks can only get ahead if they're given a head start. Toxic. You tell them. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported that the Trump administration is preparing to investigate and sue universities over affirmative action admissions policies, which discriminate on the basis of race, on the meager grounds that those policies discriminate on the basis of race. What bigotry? Plus, roaming millennial, Zoe Rachel, and Louder with Crowder's Not Gay Jared join the panel of deplorables to talk about the stock market's predictable drop to an historic high, the president's running roughshod over environmental regulations to build the wall, and speaking of aliens, NASA's new planetary protection officer to save Earth from E.T. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. So Attorney General Sessions at DOJ is reportedly about to target the affirmative actions policies at universities and in employment, but specifically on campus at universities. And we are, we are really lucky because here at the Michael Knowles Show, we have obtained exclusive footage of former Obama administration officials reacting to the news. Do we have it? That is really gory. That's too bad for them. Well, uh, they're, they're at least out of office now. You know, before his head exploded, the Obama DOJ employee Vanita Gupta said this about the reported policy change. Yet again, the Sessions Justice Department, led by the political leadership and marginalizing the career employees, is changing course on a key civil rights issue. Now, He's making a point about affirmative action, but it's really interesting, the other point he makes, which is that the political leadership, you know, the people put in place by our elected representatives, are undermining the career bureaucrats who have been governing us with no accountability for decade upon decade because apparently there are benevolent betters. They're the technic technocrats who can tell us how to live our lives better than we can live them ourselves. But then he, he's also making the point that uh, this is a terrible change for civil rights and so on. Let's allow Attorney General Sessions to speak for himself on the issue. Shut up! 
I, I couldn't have put it any better myself. <laughs> that, that's, that screaming dog, of course, or the lefties, you know, Obama-era officials who were, who were raising a ruckus about this. But, and he does sound a lot like Foghorn Leghorn. But he's a great American and a, a good attorney general. And, but that is basically what he's telling him. He's telling him to shut up. And we can go a little bit more in depth on the subject. The, uh, in 2003, the Supreme Court sent a very confusing message on the issue of affirmative action. In the, in the case Gratz v. Bollinger, they decided that affirmative action was not okay, it was unconstitutional. But then in Grutter v. Bollinger, they decided that it was constitutional. One case was about the undergraduate admissions policies at the University of Michigan. The other was about law school admissions policies at the University of Michigan. And it, it was a, a complex case. I think even uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, who wrote the opinion of the court, understood that she was making a very... Com complex and gray point. What she said was, the United States Constitution, quote, does not prohibit the law school's narrowly tailored use of race in admissions decisions to further a compelling interest in a diverse student body. But, she went on, the court expects 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary to further the interest approved today. So I don't know why she picked the, the number 25. I think it's because she understood this is unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional now, but it will affect a social change that we would like, or apparently will affect a social change we would like. So let's just do it for a while and you can overturn it in 25 years. And there, there is some precedent for this. Even Bill Buckley, who's credited with founding the modern conservative movement, he advocated, quote, a pro-Negro discrimination policy in employment to make up for historical injustices and inequalities and the exclusion of blacks in America. Clarence Thomas, the only black justice on the Supreme Court at the time, vehemently d disagreed with this opinion. He said, quote, the majority has placed its imprimatur on a practice that can only weaken the principle of e equality embodied in the Declaration of Independence and the Equal Protection Clause. Quote, our constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. Now, he agreed with the 25-year uh, structure that was set up by Sandra Day O'Connor, but he agreed because, quote, these policies will clearly have failed to eliminate the perceived need for any racial or ethnic discrimination because the academic credentials gap will still be there. So is, is the academic credentials gap still there? We're not quite 25 years out, but we are a number of years out from this, not too far behind. I think Clarence Thomas put it even more succinctly in, a, in another talk. Do we have it? I have never understood the notion that we could continue to focus on race in order to get over race. Um, I've never understood that, that we have to continue to identify us and you know, the, the, the be race conscious in order not to be race conscious. What a virulent racist and clearly so uneducated, isn't he? So there, there, there are these, these two arguments. There's this constitutional and American ideals argument. How are we supposed to not be race conscious if we're how does being extremely race conscious get us to being not race conscious? And this constitutional argument that uh, we shouldn't be discriminated against on the basis of uh, our, our uh, racial background. Now, there are also more tangible reasons to oppose uh, affirmative action. The first argument is reverse discrimination. This is the reason that even that socialist utopia, the United Kingdom, got rid of the policy, is that clearly it discriminates against some racial groups, but not on others. Uh, a Bush administration, Department of Education, civil rights official, said this in 2005. She said, quote, these policies dismiss 
the very real prices paid by individuals who end up injured by affirmative action. And those individuals, by the way, are not just the much maligned straight white male. There are a lot of other groups as well. Adam Carolla uh, explains his ex experience here. Geez, I want to talk about my white privilege so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated North Hollywood High with a 1.7 GPA. I could not find a job. I walked to a fire station in North Hollywood. I was 19. I was living in the garage of my family home. My mom was on welfare and food stamps. And I said, can I get a job as a fireman? And they said, no, because you're not black, Hispanic, or a woman. Uh, we'll see in about seven years. And I went to a construction site and dug ditches and picked up garbage for the next seven years. I got a letter in the mail sent to my father's house saying, your time has come to do the written exam for the LA fire department. I took it and I was standing in line and I had a young woman of color standing behind me in line. And I said, just out of curiosity, when did you sign up to become a fireman? Because I did it or a person seven years ago. And she said, Wednesday. Um, that is an example of my white privilege. It's, I think it's an economic privilege more than it is the color of your skin. There's Adam Carolla, a fellow cissexual, heterosexual, Italian-American man. I identify very strongly with him. But the notion that Adam Carolla, not, not a fairly burly guy, uh, would be uh, overlooked for seven years and a, a smaller woman would be in line right the next day is, is quite interesting. Uh, there, there, there are these two other arguments. There is the class inequality argument. There's the mismatch theory argument. The mismatch theory argument is what got uh, Antonin Scalia in a lot of trouble uh, in the year before his death. The class inequality argument is easy. It's, it's the idea that these programs don't actually help the people that they're intended to help, poor ethnic minorities, poor blacks, who uh, should be able to climb up out of poverty and go up into social mobility, but it actually helps the already upwardly mobile, the middle, middle class and the upper middle class. And uh, here, here's Thomas Sowell explaining both of these ideas. Particularly since the net effect of the preferential treatment, which is preferential in intention more so than in results, uh, is that those blacks who are particularly disadvantaged have fallen further behind under these policies that such policies have uh, typically benefited those blacks who were well off, who became better off. Blacks who have relatively less work experience, lower levels of education, uh, black female-headed families, all these groups have fallen further behind during a decade or more of affirmative action. Don't you feel the racial hatred pouring out of that noted brilliant economist Thomas Sowell? He, the other point he makes in, an, in another clip somewhere else is that affirmative action encourages people to continue to separate themselves into smaller and smaller and more specific groups because preferred groups then, or rather people who come from non-preferred groups want to appear as though they come from preferred groups, which is why I am a Palermo Sicilian American and so on and so forth. And this uh, ultimately leads to that intersectionality hierarchy where we need to decide if a a black transgender Jewish Muslim is more oppressed than a Persian uh, pygmy who rides horses or something to that effect. Now Richard Sander <laughs> explains the effects of mismatch theory, which uh, uh, Thomas Sowell just explained. He explains some interesting statistics that come out of this. UCLA law professor who points out black college freshmen who as uh, aspire to STEM careers at a rate that's significantly higher than whites, but they dropped out at double the rate because of a mismatch. The idea that students are going into these schools, but they're unprepared, and because there's an advantage given based on racial preferences, they, maybe they would do better off at a 
lower tier school where they could succeed and then go on to advanced degrees. On that point, black students who attended a college at which they're mismatched were two times as likely to be derailed from pursuing advanced degrees if they intended on doing that when they got there. Uh, one half of black college students rank in the bottom 20% of their classes, the bottom 10% in law schools, also explained in part by mismatch. Black law grads are four times as likely to fail the, the bar exam, and uh, Sanders says that the mismatch explains at least half of this gap. Campuses with lower academic mismatch are also significantly more likely to be socially integrated because people tend to be attracted to people of their intellectual peer group, and uh, so campuses where people are of roughly the same academic caliber tend to be more socially integrated across all uh, criteria, including race and ethnicity. And then here's the craziest statistic of all. After UCLA dropped its affirmative action, the total number of black and Hispanic students who received bachelor degrees were five, uh, was exactly the same for the next five years as it was for the five years before the change. There was no change. And the explanation for this is, while there may have been fewer students from certain demographics, the dropout rate dropped significantly, so you had the same number of students actually graduating. And obviously there are a lot of other factors that come too, which is saving lots of money, not taking out needless student loans, being productive during those work years. So with that, we bring on our panel of deplorables. Do we have them? We have Nake Jared from Ladder with Cratter. We have Roaming Millennial from everywhere else on the internet. And we have the one and only Zoe Rachel. Now, fortunately for us, we have a member of a much persecuted minority on our panel today. So I'd love to hear from him. Uh, Nake Jared, as a not gay American, do you. you think it is time to finally end affirmative action? Oh, I think it's fine, Tom. I think it's mind boggling that people are just now waking up and realizing this is a issue um you know we've talked about that on our show for a long time people get screwed the most are whites and asians almost indefinitely um <laughs> poor roaming I would poor never, roaming millennial yeah i wouldn't count mine i i was not uh uh discriminated against uh, but my ovaries my, uh, so it bounced oh out. that's right that is true i forgot you had those those uh persecuted ovaries you lucky duck yeah <laughs> That's, well, that's very interesting. I mean, Zoe, what do you think? Do you think there's a role for affirmative action in 2017? Has it served its purpose? Has it done absolutely nothing? Has it made things worse? Um, here's, here's the fix for uh, affirmative action. Here's how you make it go away. Any white person who's concerned about affirmative action this is what you got to do. Or if you want to get your job or you work at the fire department or anything like this, this is what you do. All you got to do is just tell them that you're a black woman. I don't <laughs> care who you are. Just tell them that you're a black woman. Oh, what are they going to use the application of, of uh, objective biological science to prove that you're not? You know, that's, that stuff doesn't work. That is so smart, though, because I, I've been tanning a lot. I go to the beach very frequently in L.A. And because I'm Sicilian, I can become almost Hispanic. I can become trans-Hispanic. But I don't even need to do any of that. I can just become a black woman. Uh, yeah, see, there you go. You know, it's a simple fix, man. That's what we try to do is make things simple. But if, if I could say really quick, man, the funny thing is about affirmative action is that I have never met a black person yet who claims to have needed it. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you, 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 right? It's like, oh, you got this, you got into school, you got this job because you're black. No, I didn't. I got this because I'm talented, because I'm smart. Now, the rest of them Negroes may have needed affirmative action, but I didn't. <laughs> but not me. Now, you know, it, <laughs> there's also this amazing side to it, which is, uh, you know, when I, I was at college only five years ago, and at Yale, 
some of the you know 10 15 smartest people there are were from ethnic minorities but there was this awful cloud over it because you think well possibly they got where they are because they're black or because they're hispanic or something and it really is it isn't that fair to these people who are really smart right. and talented but they have this cloud hanging over them because of legalized discrimination absolutely now absolutely. Ro roaming yeah, not, oh, i'm sorry go ahead Oh, and I say it's not, it's not fair to the people who didn't deserve to be there, who you're essentially setting up for <laughs> failure. Yeah, that's, that's failure you know, and you get debt. Dropout rates and debt, a tremendous amount of debt. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point, roaming. I mean, they, you know, there were a debt crisis in the United States, particularly among young people with these awful student loans, quarter million dollar loans. Do, do don't we think that uh, compassion here is clearly misguided? Yeah, and exactly. And you bring up a really good point talking about the uh, the average graduation rates of some of these minority groups. The last thing you want to do to someone who is from an underprivileged background is saddle them with a, a bunch of debt for a degree they're never going to end up completing, right? And the U.S. already, I think, has a little bit of a problem when it comes to the global economy, you know, in context with skilled labor, right? And, yeah. you know, these university spots, they're important. We need them. Uh, so we need to be giving them to the students who are most likely to finish, most likely to go enter in the workforce with their degrees and be skilled workers, right? I mean, this this so uh, social justice in universities is, is one of the most damaging things I can think of to the American economy. Listen to Richard Spencer over here spouting her racist claptrap. <laughs> you know, if affirmative action isn't achieving the results it was intended to achieve, Jared, why do Democrats insist on perpetuating it? You know, I think the real problem is that it goes back to government trying to fix bad government policies with more government. That's so, you know, you see this just uh, very much so with the, the, you know, the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac situation. The, the, the market crashed in 2008. They're trying to fix over-regulation with more overreach and over-regulation. So, you know, I think if you were to wind the clock back for some of these students who maybe did stand a shot at getting into these universities on their own merit, um, you know, school vouchers, for instance. You know, Steve and I talk about this on the show all the time. We've yet to hear a real solid argument against school vouchers. So, say these students could get out of the ghettos, get out of the places, go to schools that actually provide real education, real training that aren't, you know, in the dumps and claiming to be underfunded all the time. Uh, you know, more money will fix these schools, right, in the ghettos. Um, you know, they stand a chance to think of actually earning their merit to get into these colleges and actually set themselves up to be much more successful than just as we talked about, uh, you know, failing, dropping out and being stuck with a crap ton of student loans. That's right, this happened in my own hometown, Mayor de Blasio of New York, in a payoff to the teachers unions tried to target the charter schools and there was vicious pushback because it, it was the only shot for mostly black you know heavily uh, impoverished areas to get out of poverty and to have a shot of going to a good school and getting a good career and yeah. so on and so forth yeah that, that is that is really incredible so it's just you know the the government creates a problem and then there's more government to solve the problem and then there's more government to solve that problem zo where does it end well, it, it doesn't end because the issue adds up mainly to two things, money and votes. Mm. So as long as we keep this affirmative action narrative going, as long as we keep this uh, racial strife narrative going, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get money and votes, and they know how to keep this thing going. That, yeah, that's really interesting. And what do you think, though, about these awful racists, Clarence Thomas and Thomas Sowell? You know, it is it is pretty incredible to watch, uh, to watch both of these guys, some of the smartest guys in the country, saying – 
very much as Frederick Douglass said, leave us alone, stop trying to help. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. You know, the thing is, is, uh, you know, if they would just leave us alone, you know, we would, we, we would have a, uh, we'd have a pretty good chance to catch up. You know, I don't know if, you know, you, you might've seen some of us sprint sometime. We've got some pretty uh, explosive <laughs> nature to be able to catch up if you just get out of our way. You know, that's that's all we ask. Or really, that is that would be all we ask, but unfortunately there is a system that keeps progro pro uh, um, program pro programming us to believe that, you know what, you have to keep asking, you need uh, this, this uh, white You need the cycles of dependency. You have no, no will or talent of your own. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. I know you want to watch more. I know you want to hear more from these guys, but you're too cheap. So what you need to do is go over to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year. Very, very little. It's more money than I make here, but it's not a lot of money for most of the population. And you'll get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. The Leftist Tears Tumblr keeps your Leftist Tears hot or cold, always salty. Plus, you'll get to hear us talk about all of the important news of the day. But only if you go over there. So go and subscribe right now. DailyWire.com. We'll be right back. So the mainstream media all predicted before the 2016 election that if Donald Trump were elected president, the stock market would absolutely collapse. There were, I, I just Googled uh, stocks if Trump is president. Uh, CNBC, NBC, New York Times, CNN, they all predicted, one, one quote, the stock market would almost certainly tank. Do we have right now a live view from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange? Those coins just keep dropping. That's great. The uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average broke 22,000 for the first time ever, uh, in no small part because of a 4% surge in Apple stock. The U.S. added 178,000 jobs last month. So, is this what President Trump meant by getting sick and tired of winning? Are you sick and tired of winning yet? Man, what? Why you gotta ask me about the start? Do I look like Charles Payne? <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How about, <clears throat> how about now? Oh my, like Charles, Charles when did you get here? This is a <laughs> spitting image. <laughs> I, hey, you know what? It's, honestly, I, I don't pay that much against the stock because I'm afraid I'd be uh, one of those people like sipping like milk and magnesia lattes and sprinkling with Rolaids. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I remember, uh, but you know, it looks like, uh, I don't know, I guess Boeing is doing pretty good. And Trump talked about Boeing uh, uh, be, uh, or the aircraft industry uh, doing well under his administration. It looks like uh, with Boeing, that's reflecting that. Uh, but, you know, the, I think the bottom line, though, is that if this if this sustained, if this if this trend sustains, uh, hopefully people will start to feel it. They can look at it. They can look at it, tick and all that sort of stuff. But they have to feel it in their own economy. They'll say, oh, this is great for, you know, the uh, well, for Wall Street and, and, and the holders and stuff like that. But, you know, when it when when am I going to feel it? That's so a great one. I'm, I'm sorry. I did get a little distracted because I was thinking about milk of magnesia lattes. But I think I, I think I got most of your point. <laughs> you know, that, that is a really great point. Roaming, is this? <laughs> say again, Zoe. Was there a point in there? Did I make a point? Yeah, somewhere, somewhere <laughs> in there. No, I think you may have made a point. Roaming, is this just a lucky break? It's just caused by Apple surging 4%? Or are the fundamentals of our economy right now, are they strong? Are they headed in the right direction? 
I think they definitely are headed in the right direction. I think this goes to show that no matter how much you call someone sexist, racist, a bigot, and an Islamophobe, turns out markets don't really care, right? Mm. And if we look at President Trump's, his initiative toward jobs, I think that's one area where he has, he's really, you know, made an effort to keep his campaign promises. I mean, we see that he's repealed, I think it's 16 regulations for every new one introduced toward businesses. And I think that's definitely a step in the right direction. And what's funny is that all of these news outlets who were so keen to get the message out that if Donald Trump is elected, it's going to be economic doomsday. Now that we're actually seeing successes in the markets, we're seeing great job creation, lowest unemployment we've had in a long time. They're very silent on the issue. They are great. very quiet. That is great. a great, why are they so quiet? You know, they all got it wrong, almost to a man. Not gay Jared. Is it because they are deceptive or are they just extremely stupid? Uh, well, they're one and the same, I think, on this issue, but I <laughs> think- uh, It's no, not an either or question with the mainstream not a, media. No, why why pick if you don't have to? But, um, you know, it's really hard thing to comment on because it's just so volatile. You know, it could be up, it could be up today, down tomorrow, and it's kind of hard to... Wait, does that say EP of Lara with Crowder on my lower third? <laughs> I'm, I'm the Morning Grinder, so Lara what, with Crowder is just a side... What is... Yeah, I've never even heard of Lara with Crowder. Yeah. I only subscribe to Morning Grinders. Exactly. Marshall, this is a huge oversight. Jared, I'm sorry. And I'm just really shocked, actually, that... Uh, that uh, you know, Apple's doing well. That's actually more shocking to me than anything <laughs> yeah, else in this study. That's true. Uh, do we have do we have a live view of Twitter's stock? Is this still just just burning? Just in free fall. Yeah, it's like, actually through the bottom of the floor. Zero. I think. Yeah. This is so, right when I get verified, Twitter's going to go out of business. That's terrible. Exactly. I guess you know I got I know. verified for not writing a book. So that's. Yeah, I uh, see. I've applied. <laughs> I've applied to them like three times. Have been rejected each time. One You're day kidding I'll me. Get them. No. Really, like millennials way more famous than me. Are you, that's wow. Man, all right. Now I see why that company's failing. Okay, exactly. we got to move on. The Department of Homeland Security says it will waive more than three dozen laws and regulations, most related to environmental review and the protection of wildlife, as it pushes to build the border wall with Mexico. We go now to Sarah McLaughlin for a reaction. The end of life, I will be there for you. Thank you, Sarah. That was a stirring report. Nake Jared, is this an example of President Trump cutting through red tape, or is this lawlessness from the White House? Oh, gosh. Here's the thing. There's always going to be just mountains of mountains of red tape with this. And I think when the leftists yeah. realize they can't make arguments on the immigration front, it's just a natural shift to say, oh, but there are climate you know, change reasons to shift you know, away from the border wall. I remember Jeff Corrin, like a month ago, was saying, if we build this wall... It's really going to mess up the birds. I don't know if you know what bird happens when birds encounter, <laughs> you know, objects in the wilderness, such as a wall, but they tend to fly over them. They fly. Are so, you? I have never heard that. Are you a science denier, not gay? I've never heard of that. I'm not, I'm not a birdologist. <laughs> I'm about that. I think that's but the word. I think that's the right word. Experience tells me they'll be all right. So this is just leftists getting their own way. I mean, it's it, it, it's perfect for them, right? Because it's a, something they oppose. And they can relate it's it to just a tactical change. shift. It, and yes, exactly. You know, they but they get in their own way with this kind of stuff as well. You can't build uh, uh, solar panels in the Mojave Desert because of some stupid endangered turtle. So, <laughs> uh, tortoise, tortoise, man, I was that was rude of me. Um, it's so, a you huge, know, you, you rampant things. speciesist. <laughs> it's, it's my greatest crime against humanity. But no, I don't think I think Trump's going to have to do some of these things to cut through the BS. Or at least, you know, maybe talk about some of the funding for these programs and these these uh, people who want to just 
you know, rail on the climate change issue for the wall. Because I think you're going to find most of it's unfounded and it doesn't make any sense. I have to push back on your species as a Nakajira at roaming. If securing our borders might endanger half a dozen chupacabras, shouldn't we just completely abandon the project? Well, I mean, that's a great point, right? This is about priorities. We have arms tracker, arms traffickers, drug traffickers, uh, do documented like criminals who, who we've sent back and keep coming over. But, you know, places like the EPA, oh, well, there's this species of rabbit that likes to, you know, hop back and forth this area, therefore we shouldn't do it. Really? Is that is that a legitimate argument against this? And I think, you know, if nothing else, it proves the point that, hey, walls do work in restricting population movement, right? <laughs> that is, that's a very good point. You know, one time I was, I was working in local politics. I was advising a company on how to build in this middle of nowhere, New York. And we, we had to halt the entire project, would have brought a lot of jobs in because of a rattlesnake, which last time I checked, we don't want. We want we want to get rid of them. We want to kill them. Apparently, we, we had to stop yeah, the whole process. They are a nuisance. They are a pest. <laughs> so does Trump... If, if, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, if you remember, though, they, a lot of times when they do these and push these proposals, right, the climate change, we can't do it because X, Y, and Z. Have you noticed they don't really tend to name the actual species they're trying to save? They, they speak in the most generic terms possible. I remember there was a bridge in California like two years ago. They built a new one because the old one was rusted out, and they had to re tear down the other one. But the other one was housing like home to like 800-something birds, and it was going to be like a $33 million project to remove these birds. I cannot find in any article where they specified the birds. I didn't even know there so were 800 different birds. Yeah, like, no, no, 800 of the same kind of bird mounted up into this this old bridge. $33 million to remove them. That's like $40,000 a bird. You know you know why so, they can't be too specific, though? They can't be too specific. Just buy new birds. They, you <laughs> can just <laughs> buy new birds, yeah. No, the reason they can't be too specific is that global warming might cause new bird species to go and live there, so they have to prepare for that. I mean, these these shifts are, are uh, they really affect the biosphere. If they're, and if they're, if they're bald eagles, you might get people on board, but if you, tell, if you were to tell people, like, hey, actually, they're just pigeons, they'd be like, well, screw the pigeons! You know, they, <laughs> they do that in L.A. They do that in L.A. Uh, they, they divert a ton of our fresh water because of the Delta smelt, which is just an anchovy. There's, there are these anchovies <laughs> that are yeah. sucking up more fresh water than Californians are. Terrible. Disgusting. But, I mean, all of these environmental regulations, I think, they're, they're just the greatest symbol of, I think, white upper middle class privilege that I can imagine. <laughs> right. right. Like, with, right. with this border wall, you have, like, a... Uh, low-income, let's say, African-American communities in places like Los Angeles and Texas who whose jobs are being undercut by legal immigration. But it's like, sorry, guys, there's an owl. Um, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, don't care if you can feed your family. Yeah. <laughs> Just the owls. The owl needs to feed its family. That's true. Do right. you think Do you think Trump has to do this? So does, does Donald Trump need to build the wall if he doesn't want to lose his supporters? You know, I think I'm going to get a lot of people mad at me when I say that. I, have, I haven't I have really been a big build-the-wall guy. I'm not against it. Yeah. My whole thing is just like, look. You care more about the owls. I understand. I'm with you, yeah, so. You know, they're cute and cuddly. You know, even despite, you know, all, you know, who, who. Anyway, um, you know, my thing is stop giving out the goodies that they come over for. You yeah. know, but the, the education, the the, the, the health care, the, uh, the, the jobs and stuff like that. Stop leaving out the sugar. So, you know, that way, you know, you, they stop losing the incentive to come over. And if you do see some people trying to sneak into our country from there, with even, even though they know they're not going to get anything, chances are that person trying to sneak in is probably trying to blow something up or <laughs> is sneaking in a, a, a culo full of cocaine. That is a good so test. One of those very bad, one very good. I'm kidding. They're both terrible.
They're terrible. Roaming, does he have to build the wall? You know what? I, I, I'm i kind of like Zoe, right? I mean, I'm not someone who thought like, oh, wall would be a great idea before it was mentioned. But, you know, when you think about it, it, it does kind of make sense. Like, hey, you have this border. It's very porous. You have a lot of movement going back and forth unauthorized. Why not? And to me, it's not just about the actual physical wall. It's about, you know, hey, patrols, a greater monitoring, things like that. Um, I think I think Trump does need to build it. Uh, you know, it's something that he campaigned on greatly. I think it's something that a lot of people who are feeling like uh, rule of law doesn't apply in, in America anymore. It's something that they're counting on. And you know what? There's a lot of that portion is already walled anyway. It's not as a, I think, as huge a project as some people are making it out to be acting as if there's like no separation at all going on. Uh, I, I think I think he, he does need to do it. Well, you know, speaking of the threat from illegal aliens, NASA is currently seeking to hire someone with a secret security clearance and, quote, advanced knowledge of planetary protection to lead the agency's planetary protection capability. Now, uh, this appears to be a change in course from NASA's primary duties under President Obama. Do we have that interview? Uh, when I became the NASA administrator, or before I became the NASA administrator, he charged me with three things. One was he wanted me to help re-inspire children to want to get into science and math. He wanted me to expand our international relationships. And third, and That's really important. So, which poses a greater danger to the United States, extraterrestrials or Muslim terrorists? Muslim extraterrestrials. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten that third category. <laughs> And, and, and hey, and, and I and I like I like having George Jefferson as a uh, as the dude who's gonna do that for him. We say, <laughs> we say they coming. They're gonna they're, here comes ET to bring us his space aids. It is really reaching across the aisle, a real melding of the Obama and Trump administration priorities. Uh, not gay, Jared. We're making nice with Muslims. We're protecting against the yes. Martians. But the last time that humans traveled out of low Earth orbit was 1972. Why aren't we exploring space anymore? Hmm. Is it because of fear of the Muslim extraterrestrials? It could be. But if you've got a protector of the universe out there as they're planning, and <laughs> I can only picture at this point Al Gore with spandex and green mullet, <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave the Earth either. That's something you don't want to encounter. That, That's the making of a horror movie you can't take back. That is a fair point. What a job to have, by the way. P protector of the planet. That's, that is a pretty good time. These are just made... Are these the kind of jobs Obama was adding when he was uh, inflating the, the, the work numbers? Yeah. Because this is, this is a reach. That, this is a reach is, I want to go back and look at those jobs numbers under the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Roaming, paid well. From what I saw, this person's paid well. <laughs> it, it's true, actually. The, the like salary is almost... 187000 or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Almost $200,000 a year yeah. to protect the planet. Which, you know, that's frankly... Like, like funding from, that's like are they getting funding from Ted right Turner? There. Yeah, it might be. To, to fund Captain Planet? Are they getting money from Ted Turner it, to protect uh, for, for Captain Planet? Well, because of Citizens United, we can't look into all this dirty money in government, but we'll have to look into it. Roaming, when we ventured out to explore the moon, all we found was dirt and rock. The same is true of Texas. Does our apathy about imploring imply, exploring imply that we have gone soft as a civilization? You know what, I've heard that argument, even from conservatives, the fact that, you know, Russia is making gains against the U.S. in the space race. And, uh, you know what, as someone who likes space, I like science, uh, it's still really hard, I think, to justify that amount of spending, just in general, when we have such a huge deficit, when we have so many problems, you know, 
on Earth in the country. Um, but, you know, I think the, the biggest question here is that if, if it's a planetary protector, why why is only the U.S. looking into this, right? I mean, shouldn't other countries be kind of going into this? And I'm not saying we build some sort of Death Star, but, you know, if we're actually thinking of protecting the whole planet, it, it, why is it always the U.S. that's taking on these initiatives, right? I mean, if it's just an American job for NASA, I think we, it, you know, a, a sort of protective bubble just around the U.S. is is more feasible, in my opinion. Other countries can fend for themselves. You know, Roman, you might not go this far. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jared. Right. I'm open-minded. Right. I support the Death Star. I agree with you. I Word. agree with you. Let's let's not be cowardly here. Imperialism. Hey, but I gotta I gotta I gotta ask. Though, it's infrastructure. Uh, it creates jobs. But but I gotta ask, you know, because when they keep looking out into space and they're always saying this planet could potentially support life, it's always could potentially support life. They haven't substantiated that there there is a organic material out there or something that that is supporting life out there. So. Why are they worried about some sort of organic material coming here when they haven't really proven that there's something else that supports life out there? Yeah, well, we can't focus on protecting from terrestrial life until we first protect against the evil Martians. You have to get your priorities in order. I mean, the idea okay. of making another planet habitable is cool, but I mean, if you look on Earth, we still haven't figured out a way to make like Sub-Saharan Africa habitable, right? Yeah, or I mean, Chicago like, let's, let's or Detroit, this. yeah. <laughs> right, I mean. Dang. That's true. You're right. Maybe we could maybe we could turn turn our view inside and make our own societies better. That's a really wholesome point to end on. Get out of here, you. It was great to have you, roaming millennial, not gay Jared and Joe Rachel. So Rachel. Now it's time for final thoughts. Like so many government initiatives. A legal structure that began with apparently good intentions has wrought unintended consequences that are unjust, not merely to certain disenfranchised groups, but even to the people it intended to help. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. These statistical, moral, and legal arguments to end affirmative action are overwhelming, but here's the simplest. The Justice Department is entrusted with the responsibility to stop discrimination and protect civil rights for everybody. Perhaps, finally, it ought to be able to do just that. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show.